In this episode of the Made For More podcast, I speak with some experts around Lighthouse Leadership. This is a recording of the Lighthouse Leadership panel discussion around employee engagement, expectations and empathy. You'll hear from Alexi Fay, CEO of Communet, Clint Adams, CEO of WaterPro and Railways, and Brad Mills, General Manager of National Pharmacies. This is the first episode of the Made For More podcast, and you'll notice in the recording, I actually forgot to hit record. So we jump straight in to Alexi introducing himself. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. So, you know, what drives me and what drives Communet is that connection of business and technology. Um, so Communet itself, it's just under 50 people um, head office in Adelaide. We service clients around the country and uh, quite a few overseas. So we do a lot in advice um, as well as traditional services in IT. Beautiful. Thank you. Eclectic indeed. I love it. Clint, can I get you to unmute yourself? And if you want to tell us who you are, what you do and what you love about what you do. Good morning. My name is Clint Adams. Uh, I'm the director or managing director or CEO, depending on what term you want to use, of WaterPro and Railways. Uh, WaterPro is an 11-year-old business specialising in the supply of irrigation equipment to the trade, retail, homeowners, up to large commercial. Uh, we're in Kent Town in South Australia. We've been here for about seven years, but the business is 11 years old. Uh, about 10 months ago, I don't even know what month we're in. So September last year, I settled on a business called Railways, which is at Ranella which is about 40 minutes south of where I am now. Uh, that business was a, is a 40-year-old business and they supply landscape suppliers to the trade and the retail. So same market segments just mentioned, but completely different product mix, different demographic, different team, existing team, all that jazz. Um, and I've got a little fertilizer brand that I've started about three years ago called Lawn Hub as well, which we sell out of WaterPro and online. So that's me. Beautiful. Not busy in any way. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Clint. Brad, can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do and what you love about what you do. Sure. Thanks, Ellie. I'm General Manager at National Pharmacies, which is a wonderful South Australian organisation born nearly 110 years ago. I'm not originally from South Australia. In fact, I only moved here six years ago. I started with National Pharmacies in Victoria as State Manager about 12 years ago. Prior to that, I've spent a lot of time working in large organisations such as um, RACV, which is like the RAA, worked for Qantas and Australia Post. So I've been across a variety of insurance, banking, uh, logistics, parcels, pharmaceuticals. Now I've run my own business in the IT space, not as a technician um, such as Alexi, but um, more as a sales and marketing role. Uh, yeah, so what do I love about National Pharmacies? The fact that it's a mutual, we're here for our members. We've got 270,000 members to look after. And I've always loved multi-site retailing and that's what attracted me back to working in this sort of organisation. One of the portfolios I look after is um, people. So that's obviously very much uh, people and culture is what we're going to be talking about today. So 
Thanks for the invitation, Ellie. Thank you. That's excellent. Thanks, Brad. So thank you, Alexi and Clint and Brad, for your time today. I uh, really do appreciate it. And I think our attendees, whoever's watching this on the replay, can definitely agree that there is a wealth of knowledge and experience both across many, many industries and in terms of leadership as well. So I think today is going to be an absolute corker and I'm very grateful for your time. So we're talking today about Lighthouse leadership, so employee engagement, expectations and empathy. So Brad, as the GM of National Pharmacies, you lead staff across a number of different sites, across a number of different states even, plus there's a team in head office and is the one at Fulham as well. Um, How do you keep them all engaged, particularly right now when it is more important than ever? So I guess the first thing and foremost, and it's with any business and it never really changes, is communication is the key to everything. If you ever run into team dynamic issues or business problems, you can normally trace it back to how well you're communicating. In this current scenario, and some of you may be aware that we also had a uh, case of COVID-19 of an employee at a store, the key to handling these things was communication. So in terms of how we've moved people um, before that particular crisis was to communicate everybody's roles. So what what were we expecting from our store teams? Obviously, we're still trading. It's a health service. Uh, We were aware that overseas that the only retailing that would be open in many countries such as Italy was pharmacy and supermarkets. So it was very clear early on that our store teams were going to play a a frontline role to support um, people in South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales. So we clearly articulated what we expected of the retail store teams. The next thing we did with anyone in a support role where we could get them out of, I'll call it harm's way. So we had a large team in the CBD. Now that's obviously got lots of travellers, visitors. So the first thing we did was move people out of that office and get them to operate remotely. Then you talked about our Fulham site, which is a training centre where we've had people that either couldn't set up from home for whatever reason, technology challenges or other, or they were a team that were handling telephony uh, from our customers. We've set them up at the Kidman Park Training Centre there. So we've provided tools, hardware, focused on what people needed, kept the dialogue open about what they need, and then more importantly, ongoing, and we'll probably get to it later, but things such as regular, uh, we use Microsoft Teams, uh, which is the first for many people, so it's been uh, an excellent tool to use. Um, There's a lot of challenge around people working in isolation. We have a number of people in our teams who thrive in a teamwork face-to-face environment because they um, live by themselves or they're single parents. So I think some of them are finding big challenges. So uh, we've actually upped the communication in that way and keep them connected. Yeah, beautiful. I think one of the key takeaways there for any type of crisis or any type of change that's happening within an organisation or within a team is being really clear about what it is that's actually changing and and also explaining what the expectations are for employees moving forward. So I love that that's something that's already part of National Pharmacies and what you do. You mentioned about the challenge that some people have working in isolation and I 100% get it. I'm an extrovert. I'm not okay being away from my people. But what types of things, what would you say is sort of the biggest challenge that's facing your staff at the moment in terms of that isolation and working from home? The value of when you're, if you're facing any challenges or issues with work itself, personal or work related, the ability to bounce off people right next to you 
certainly helps pr uh, productivity and, and a feeling of accomplishments. We've really encouraged this sort of informal chat process like we're doing here today, but we, we've reminded people that if you're getting a, a video call from someone in your team, you know, make your best efforts to take that call because it's like them leaning over the partition to have a have a chat. You never know who's really in need. So that's certainly been a focus for us. Little things on a personal sense, I set up with my team, you know, our business would probably normally have a, a social drinks for an hour once a month on a Friday. I got a whole bunch of people together on um, Easter Thursday from four o'clock and we set something up where we said, bring a drink and bring a, uh, a plate and everyone got to show their their food or their bunny ears or they introduced their kids to the team. You know, we, we met kids and partners that we'd never normally meet through uh, Microsoft Teams and it was amazing that I put it on for half an hour and I think some people stayed online for an hour and a half. So I think that was leaving people feeling like there's a, a new way of meeting others besides the, the colleagues in the office. So, uh, yeah, and they felt very connected. I think that's amazing and I think it is those little informal channels that actually do make up the, the culture and the engagement within within your teams. And I don't think you're alone in our Friday night drinks online taking on a whole new, I guess it's going to be a new thing, I think. There's, it's a lot easier to get people to catch up socially online than it is, you know, trying to find a park and, and where you're going to go. So, yeah, watch this space, I think. If and, you, of course, uh, we I drink driving, so it's always a very safe way. Very responsible. Yeah, excellent. That's really good. Thanks, Brad. So, Lex, you've got a great culture at Communet. I, you and I have worked together many, many years ago, so I've been keeping keeping my eye on what's been happening at Communet and know a few of the guys there, guys and girls there. With your team at Communet, they're usually co-located, so all in the same office. And perhaps now that with the COVID-19, what I've noticed is that you're doing some really different things with your teams to really keep the engagement alive. What are some of the things that you're doing as part of Communet's engagement strategy for this isolation period? Yeah, look, thanks, Ali. Um, look, to me, it's very similar to Brad's commentary. It, it really is around communication and connection and humanity. We very early on um, identified that there was some risk coming before the lockdowns and pulled out our pandemic response plans, all the big formal things you have from risk, um, and created a plan that was for staff and for our clients. You say we're co-located, it's interesting. We have you know, 100-odd clients in the state. So at any given time, I'd be lucky that 40% of the people are in the office anyhow. We're always out at client sites or working from home. Uh, we've been using Teams and the Microsoft Modern Workplace suite for a couple of years and have been heavily promoting it. So we were in a, a nice place from a technology position to be able to move immediately to half a workforce from home to keeping some segregation so that if we had a COVID case, we could still provide support. A whole bunch of basic things. But we identified probably week one, week two, when... We moved from a mandated 50% out of the office to five people out of 50 sitting in the office because if anyone else wanted to, they could work remotely, was the casual conversations that happened from leadership all day, every day. And, you know, we sit in open plan and you don't necessarily think about, uh, you know, there's some old textbooks around management by walking around, but it's, it's not that formal. It's that you touch base with people in a lunchroom, in a coffee room, and over a, a walk down to the local supermarket, whatever it comes to. And that became a real miss. The teams, similar to National Pharmacies, put in place very early some social catch-ups and drinks. But for me, it was that continuing connection with all staff. So all of my teams that do daily stand-ups, I do the same with my leadership team. We see each other every morning and we talk about not usually operational matters, how are people feeling, how's their mental health at home, are they dealing okay with kids, what's going on with the Department of Education, 
how are their teams feeling. But four or five times a week through the week, I jump into each of the team meetings to really just have some of that banter and chatter in the office to check in on people's mental health and well-being at home. It's funny running an organisation, have your own kids at home and all those stresses and, and challenges, but you feel like you've got your other family, which is work. And being able to see them and listen to them and know them to see those small changes, you know, it's big mental health days, are you okay day, all of those bits and pieces. But it's more now than ever that we need to continue to ask that and look for those little signs on body language and then send a message outside of the, the meeting. And I've had a few where I've had to reach out to an individual in the team that's reporting into one of my software leads or, or down under the delivery service desk and go, hey, look, are you okay? Today, you know, you're a bit off. What's going on? Do you need to take a break? And then remind people... Um, forcefully in some instances to go, no, you need to go and take two hours out this afternoon and go for a walk with your kids. I don't want to see you on Teams. I don't want to see you available. I don't want to see any comms. You look like you've been working 10, 12-hour days. Yes, they're broken up, but um, there's an exhaustion and a, and a health issue kicking in. So during the first week or two, it was harder because everyone was moving in and out. So it was daily formal comms. We put a bit of banter and fun into it. Every day was a Hitchhiker's Guide quote, starting with don't panic through to a whole bunch of deep, uh, deeply considered ones. And I was really worried that we wouldn't get back to some normality of conversation because I was going to run out of quotes. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the weekly and fortnightly comms that are a bit more formal are good. Using live webinars, you know, we, we have monthly all staff meetings. You know, some people call them town halls and we've done that for a long time. But we still needed to maintain that. So I actually set up our normal big meeting space, our incubator out the back, used our, our, our roof webcam and actually st stood there with my PowerPoint presentation and the conversation with five people in a room that's normally packed. Yeah. And we did a live telecast similar to this and allowed people then to converse. We opened up all the conversation after and we had, you know, 40 or 50 people asking questions. So it was really finding, it wasn't the tools that, that made a difference. It was remembering that the day-to-day -day had to feel the same, even though you were disconnected physically. Um, we didn't want to be disconnected socially. Beautiful. So if you've got a pen handy, I think that's really important. It's just remembering that those little social interactions are what is the main ingredient to building trust within your teams and making sure that you're still showing up in a way that's not always planned and not always a meeting. Now, Lex, you talked about a stand-up, which is agile. I just wanted you <laughs> to unpack a stand-up because I think stand-ups are a beautiful thing that, you know, anyone can adapt in their own workplace. And I think it's a really good way to start the day. But can you expand on what a stand-up yeah, is? Sure. So a stand-up is really um, a daily check-in and it's purposefully never longer than 15 minutes. Um, it's time-bound so that people focus on, on immediacy. You know, what happened yesterday that was good? We don't want to hear about everything that happened yesterday. We don't want to hear about everything that's going to happen today, but it's really an opportunity for everyone in a team. Ideally, it's eight to 10 people tops that you go, this is what I did yesterday that I was achieved, I was proud of. Here's the things I'm doing today. And very clearly, what are the things you need help with today? Are there things that are blocking you, that are challenging you? Because in that team environment, it allows everybody to go, actually, I've got a bit of spare time. I can help you out. So although the stand-ups are wrapped around agile project management and delivery, they're actually just about teams every day talking and being willing to help each other out and put their hand up and ask for help when they need it for whatever that help is. Interestingly, because in the office we do them as stand-ups, we don't sit in a meeting room. Uh, on our calls in the morning, we actually change our webcam angles and we force everyone to stand up and step back. Uh, so we actually physically stand and maintain yeah. that, 
that piece so it's not the normal sit at your desk perspective. So even those things, we've brought some, uh, you know, some consistency to what the practice is in the office. Yeah, I think that's great. Change the energy, stand up, get people talking and ready yeah, for the that's day. Right. That's awesome. Thanks, Lex. So, Clint, you're up next. So, at WaterPro, you've got something that's quite unique to your industry. I haven't seen this in any other organisations like yours, but your 12 immutable laws of WaterPro. So, firstly, can you tell us what the laws are and then how much you think these laws have shaped what WaterPro is and remember about the bleep that we talked about? <laughs> I'm not sure I can tell you all of them. I promise you I wouldn't swear. So the 12 immutable laws of WaterPro, and they probably are of railways now, they're, they're kind of my business values, are the 12 rules that my team and I use when we're unsure about a decision or a direction that we need to take. So they're designed to be our moral compass, I guess, so that when we're in positions of stress or pressure, we refer back to those rules so that we make decisions based on things that we decided when we were calm and composed it was something that i implemented i don't know how long ago now five or six years ago and since we've had them it's made the business it's just made it clear it, it enables my staff to make decisions without coming to management it enables management to make decisions without coming to me and it means that provided we stick to the rules that the business is a nicer place to work and we don't re i guess repeat behaviors that have hurt us in the past so those values are on my YouTube or WaterPro's YouTube channel. If anyone wants to take a look at them, there's, I don't have a issue with swearing in my day-to-day -day life. So if you've got sensitive ears, maybe don't go look at it. But <laughs> it's, so yeah, so we've had them and they've changed the way we operate and my guys will reference them all the time now. And we have customers referencing them as well. Um, and customers understand our rules and where we stand. And then if we, deselect a customer we can usually reference those rules and explain why very good did you want to share them the rules yeah um so i can share the ones that I come to the top of mind uh so there's the one is, well one is leopards and spots obviously um leopards don't change their spots that's a reminder that if someone does something in a negative fashion towards you that's likely they're going to do it again if a staff member portrays certain behavior then unlikely to change if you've had a staff member leave for certain reasons or you've had to i guess have a staff member exit because the company needs them to they're not they're generally not going to change so probably best not to go back down the same path i don't know which words i'm not allowed to say what else have we got do the right thing that one's really important so we make decisions around things whenever we're doing anything we make decisions around doing the right thing so an example might be if we overcharge a customer accidentally even if there's no chance that the customer will find out or if the charge is quite minor we'll rectify that by contacting the client and crediting them the difference and apologizing and most of the time they're like oh, it doesn't matter it was only this much but we consider that doing the right thing make money right so we don't like want to rip people off we if even if the, if our staff saw an opportunity to make more money by doing something that wasn't right then we don't like that. One of the fun ones might be dry, no dry humping. That's designed to remind staff that if a high value target customer that we've been chasing comes into the shop, try to remain calm and don't have the whole team go out there like a chihuahua at the front door when a guest comes around and dry hump. I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I'm glad you so, Well, that. I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> um, there's one of our rules that's pretty well known is no dicks allowed. That is a reminder that if a staff member, a supplier or a customer acts like a dick to you or their staff or their wife or their kids, it's very likely they're going to do the same to you at some point. So we don't deal with people that act like that. And if someone acts like that once, leopards and spots, they're likely to do it again. So we either have a conversation with 
their superiors if they're the business owner it's generally not going to change so then we make it less desirable to deal with us and they generally deselect what else have we got i can't remember they're written on the walls everywhere we've got one it's an f word then it's a four letter word followed by the word normal that's designed to remind people that i don't want us to be measured against normal and that i hate when a, when a staff member comes up and says well that's what the other companies are doing or that's what these guys are doing or um ali asked me a question earlier today about some about something in the market and I just don't know because I'm not looking at what other people are doing because I don't want to measure myself against normal because then we're likely to be normal plus 7% good. I'd rather just do the best we can do. So, but yeah, I'd, there's there's more, but you can find them online. Yeah. We'll find them online on the- Yeah, uh, go Water check Pro out my YouTube, YouTube channel. channel. Thank you. Thanks <laughs> for sharing a, that. And I think- get a plug in. Yeah, get a plug. With your 12 immutable laws, I think it's something that you hire by as well, don't you? Making sure that yep, your teams definitely. are all um, aligned. So it's the values of waterproof. Waterproof. They're in our seek ads. So if we, when we're advertising for new employment, it's in the seek ad to go look at that video. If you don't consider that you're in line with at least eight to 10 of those values, no one's going to be completely in line with them. Then it's probably not worth applying for the job. Thank you. So Lex, I mentioned that you and I have known each other for a long time. I was going to calculate it, but I don't think we should do that. But over that time, your career has changed and and evolved. You have had a mentor. I'm, I'm guessing you've had a mentor or a coach. I think we've talked about that before. But what I would like to know is what do you think is one of the benefits of having a mentor or a coach and how it's helped your career over time yeah look it's a it's a really interesting relationship with a with a mentor and having a mentee or two is an interesting relationship as well it, it gives you an ability to speak freely with somebody uh, once you have a trusted relationship about everything about your own fears your own limitations the things that you think you may be doing really well or not and getting some feedback that doesn't always happen in a in a leadership loop even more important as you climb the ranks into into c-level roles or general management roles because as you climb and being a ceo for a few years now although i don't live by the it's lonely at the top adage I, i'm friends with all of my team and that makes conversations easier when they're challenging um there's a whole lot of pieces around that there's still something that comes with title and seniority where people don't always tell you the truth. Although you aim to surround yourself with truth sayers and you aim to keep that open conversation, titles uh, are hierarchical in our society and to a lot of people they cause fear. So having someone that's that's a mentor and a coach or even just a trusted advisor that's not your board, that's not your shareholders, that's not your leadership team, that's not your partner at home, that can be brutally honest when you need it keeps you humble, keeps you true to where you want to be and, and true to what you're trying to do in your own life or career. And do you try and cultivate that type of interactions with your teams as well, with your staff? Yeah, look. Around um, the, the honest feedback and... Um, yeah, so yeah. so I actively get a 360 for myself from my external partners, clients, as well as my board and my leadership team. So I get a chance to do a self-reflection and a reflection with my team, which is good. Um, it keeps you an understanding of where the differences of how people see you versus um, how you see yourself. For my team, I don't force a 360, but a number of them have gone through a lot of leadership planning. Some of them have coaches assigned and mentors that we pay for as Communet because they're in their own career path. Um, and some are just going through more formal, I guess, group settings, either through universities or through network groups where they're given time out and the fees covered to go and be part of something that's not IT and, and not part of their career. So they do get to learn and grow and hear by speaking to other people that are in the same space. And what do you think would be the most important lesson that you've learned out of the 360s of getting feedback? Look, it's being honest with yourself. There's a lot of people uh, and it's easy to fall into that trap of aspiration where you're always looking for what's next. You're always looking for more money or you're looking for more authority or you're looking for something else. And if you follow that path, there's a real risk that what you do is actually start 
creating a persona that's not who you are. And it's really hard to keep a persona from everybody. Um, you would start to see very quickly that the things you think you're saying and think you're doing because you're trying to create it are actually being undermined by your general personality traits and who you are as a person. So when you see a 360, I've had the luxury of many years ago having a few and learning a few things, and I haven't seen them for a long time. But those those first ones are really confronting, where what you think you're saying or doing is really positive or supportive, but other people are seeing it as talking down or they're seeing it as micromanaging. And it really gives you something to self-reflect on. Be willing to self-reflect if you go into 360, if you're going to come out of it defensive and that you know that's there, oh, work on that first because they the first ones of those you can do early career are really rough. Another another note for the notepad, be um, willing to do the self-reflection and do the self-work and get those early runs on the board. Thank you for that, Lex. So, Brad, you've been involved in both formal and informal mentor-mentee arrangements, which I think is amazing um, and so valuable to, to both of you. In fact, training actually comes under your arm at National Pharmacies, doesn't it, in the Fulham Centre, training centre. I'd love to hear what your views are and what you think is one of the most important lessons that you've got from being a mentor or even what you've got from being a mentee? As a leader of an organisation, I think Alexi touched on that point nicely. Formal and informal. You can drive a lot of these uh, programs formally, but if people are not ready to receive information or engage in the relationship, it's not going to work. So I like the way that we've mentioned there that you can have formal and informal programs. Some people will sign up for those kind of relationships, but I guess from my perspective, the most successful ones are where you both find each other, be prepared to have meetings with mentees and mentors. And if the, if the relationship doesn't work, be prepared to walk away. Don't continue to, what to say, flog a dead horse because you, you'll probably find that the if the trust isn't there, then the conversation doesn't flow and that real sense of getting valuable feedback and preparedness to act won't be there. Trial and error. You know, try many um, and you'll land on a few. Yeah, I think that's uh, it, it's actually a, a really good thing to practice and experience as well. I've been doing that for probably 20 years and, and where you start is quite a little more, um, what would I say, agricultural than the way you can get towards the end as the relationships can become fulfilling and efficient. Yeah, beautiful. And so for any of our listeners that have, or people that have tuned in today that are leaders and they are looking for a mentor or mentee experience, how do they go about that? Sure. Okay. So you can, in terms of any mentor or mentee, start with your uh, organisation. Yep. If you're not uh, connected with your HR team, become connected. Talk to the HR leaders in your business. And what we have is our what we call our SLT, Senior Leadership Team which we invite anybody in the organisation to come and connect with us to talk about any issues of any level. So, you know, both Clint and Alexi were talking earlier about being open to talk to anybody in the organisation. I think that's key today, that whole line management, hierarchical kind of view of the past, you know, is not very useful these days. I find that building trust, and I think I've said to you before, Ali, one of my rules or whatever that I go by is, you know, you don't have to know all the answers. Nobody likes to know it all. Let's all face that. No one. <laughs> Be prepared to listen in direct proportion of your ears to mouth ratio. So, you know, just uh, I find that with so many stores and we've got probably seven, 800 employees in our retail business, you don't have to come up with all the answers. I just simply get in the car, visit the stores and I just ask how things going, how are we doing, what do you need? And your next three-year plan is probably sitting there right in front of you. 
So when you engage that way, and I'd call that a an informal, I've got many good informal relationships with store managers that are prepared to send you an email, pick up the phone, what are we doing right now? You know, it's great during this crisis. Has the leadership team thought about this? Has the leadership team thought about that and we're able to engage informally that way? Get the solutions from the people that yeah. are doing the business. Oh, and yeah. people love it, you know. And, and one example, and I don't know whether we'll touch on it, but, you know, we wanted to in, uh, recognise all of our employees for doing their, you know, we've got 8, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. stores. We were going to send out a basket of goodies from a supply. You know, that's a really nice thing to do, but... Before we did, we just engaged with a few of the store managers to say, what would you like us, you know, how we want to recognise you for what you're doing. And they said, look, don't send us anything. Just give us some money because we've got lots of local businesses in our area that are really struggling and we want to engage with them. So if we could have some money to go and buy coffees and donuts and cakes or whatever, we'll engage the local businesses. And that's gone down a real treat. So, you know, that's just one very small, simple example of, when you're trying to do the right thing, you can actually engage people and get a much better result. Yeah, I think that's a really good example of your member-owned and community-focused business as well. Obviously, that has those values filter through down through your staff where they're, yes, you could send us something, but what would actually really help is if we could start supporting the community around us yeah. as well. So I think that just that's amazing what National Pharmacies is doing there. Thanks for that, Brad. So, Clint, at WaterPro, I know that building relationships and trust with your teams is one of, something that's so important to you. In fact, you've got a bit of a mission around connections. Um, and so this is for you as well, Clint. So with the two businesses, or three, with Lawn Hub that you're running yep. and they're opposite ends of city, yep. when I'm talking about leadership, and I know we had a discussion about lighthouse leadership, but what does actually leadership mean to you and how do you show up for your teams across multi-locations? Firstly, leadership for me... I guess he's setting an example and leading by example. And so I show up at each location regularly. It's been a challenge because we've split all locations up. So railway staff members and waterproof staff members can't interact with each other. They can't go to each location. We've got a third location here in Kent town where we've got all our administration and IT and media. They're not allowed to interact with each other in case we did have a case like national pharmacies where we had a, a positive test for COVID-19 that we would shut everything down. So I'm trying to find balance between um, not being, you know, the epicenter of a, of a pandemic shutdown and me contaminating my whole company and also still rocking up in some cases because I'm a required team member. So railways had issues with staff that weren't able to work for a period because they were on the other side of the border before they came back. And when you've got a team of 10, we run a seven day a week business, which I don't know if national pharmacies fit into that same, you know, you're trying to rotate a roster on a team of, so we've got 10 employed people we lost one straight away because he's 80 years old so he went he had he's he's at home much much to his disgust and then we lost another one who was across the border so he went into lockdown and then we've had you know as people have become unwell they've gone for longer periods of time because we have to be more respectful of what they might be unwell with so i've I guess my leadership style is to be there and be doing it. It's not going to serve me as well as the company grows, but right now it's perfect because the company's small enough that I can be there and set an example. And then obviously, like Brad was mentioning before, people are going to come to me or I'm going to see it firsthand that this store is struggling with X, Y, and Z. The Water Pro Railways are two very different businesses. The demographic inside the stores are completely different. Yeah, there's so much difference. So it's been quite interesting, but being there is probably the best thing for me from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, awesome. I think showing up's always a good a good way to start. Yeah. There. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.